0: Question to kick things off, and I'm really curious, so give me your thoughts. What things make you want to quit? (laughs) Too many meetings. Too many meetings, yes. Amen. Preach. Meetings make us want to quit. What else? Being tired. Yeah, right, right. Of the same old thing. Yeah. Yeah, monotony makes us want to quit failure. Too hard? Is that what you said? Failure? We've gotten through four or five and no one said politics right after the voting season. (laughs) Does politics ever make you want to quit? It feels like, what's going to happen? Is it going to happen? This can't happen. It's just like, ugh. We get pushed there. Yeah. Ely, were you going to say something? Yeah. um, Not seeing any progress. No progress. All right. Mm -hmm. How about money? Does money ever make you want to quit? There's not enough, or some didn't come that was supposed to, or you need more than you have. Like, money makes us want to (coughs) quit. Stress? Just feeling so stressed, they just need like a break. Just please, world, stop for a second.
1: Chronic illness.
0: Yeah, chronic illness. (coughs) That is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, these things, that, for all of us, they make us want to just give up and say, I'm just too tired, I need to quit. Sally. It tells
1: us to, to encourage one another, so when we don't do that, ministry hmm. for a long time, no one ever tells them that they appreciate them, and they're discouraged and don't want to do
0: it anymore. Yeah, 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 being unappreciated, really kind of across the board. Parents, kids, maybe? Make you want to quit sometimes? That's just me, I guess. Okay, no one can relate.
1: There's nothing here for us.
0: That there's nothing like pointlessness or yeah, no. It's so no stuck. I know that they've got
1: this plan for us while we're here. Mm hmm. In a worldly way, there's just no meaning, there's no value, there's no end. Yeah. Working towards that, it's really about working towards there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So then what's the point Pointless. here? Yeah. Mm. There's so many. Let's keep them coming. What else have we got? Larry? Floors with lots of glue on. Them. Ah, you're literally just there, and your hands hurt.
1: Just saying. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Those floors are no match
1: for Larry, though. I saw him.
0: Yeah, had his tunes going. He's going at those floors. It was great. Thank God for glue. Yeah. For thank yeah. God for- Yeah, everybody who's pitched in. And when that um, sign-up sheet, wherever it is, if it makes its way around, um, please do pitch in if you can one of those times. It's just such a lot of scraping. (laughs) We could use every hand we could possibly get, even if it's for 15 minutes on one day, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, How about, and this kind of focuses on the the passage we're going to read about today, the story, how about perpetual failure? You keep failing in the same area and eventually it's like, well, I'm tired of trying. It's not working. You actually have evidence that what you're doing doesn't work. So it almost seems like the right time to quit, but maybe not. But you certainly get pushed to that breaking point. It's not working. It's not like I'm not trying. It's just still not working. I think perpetual failure is a great one to force us to want to quit. Um, yeah, things that are too big for us. There's so many. This is a great list to start us off with. So now, Christians, can I ask you, um, have you found some things that help you with this? What are some things in your life that help you when you want to quit? Not to quit. What has God given you? Friends. Friends. That's great. What else? Music. Music. Yeah. That is true. Helps us not to want to quit. We just keep going. Music changes the mood. Conviction. When you're convinced that it's exactly what you should be. You feel like you're bashing your head against the wall. You keep bashing. Yeah. Conviction. Conviction keeps us from quitting. Right.
1: Yeah. The little moments where you see that God is real, like he shows himself. You know, it's not like this like, yeah, big thing is solved, but like the little ways that he shows up. Mm. Like, or oh, you, you are in the.
0: Yeah, those are huge. They're not actually solving the problem, right? But it's like something along the way that's just good. It's like, oh, thank you. Marlon. <laughs> Marlon walking in. He's not solving the problem, but like he kind of is. He's, yeah. Ian. Crying out to God. Yeah, or just crying. <laughs> I thought you were going to stop there. That's fine too, yeah. Feel your feelings we preach in our family. Feel those feelings because they're real and yeah. But crying out to the Lord, yeah. Oh, we got another one. Uh, just Rose, it's, it's, uh, explain. When people, speak life. when people can speak life to you. Have yeah, some people take energy from you. Some people can speak life into you. That's great, Ilya, What were you thinking? Um,
1: taking a
0: break and rest. Sometimes taking a break. Also, like a yeah. Mhm. Mhm. I agree with that. Type nine enneagrams. We like that. That makes sense to us. Sally?
1: Remembering what Christ has already done.
0: Mm. You know, like, we, if we get discouraged
1: in this, this move, all mm. we have to do is go back and remember everything that mm. he has done.
0: Mm. You know, if that mm. builds
1: us up and, and keeps us
0: going. Yeah. These are so good do you see this is like the definition of our faith we're talking about the things that make us want to quit and then the things that God gives us that help us not to quit not quitting is a very Christian thing Christ never quit Christians don't quit we stop things sometimes we change but that's not the same thing is it quitting is just sort of like accepting defeat and being like I know I probably should push forward in this way, but no no yeah what do you think Colleen Um, about others that have it worse. Yeah, perspective. Yep. Yeah, that does change our outlook. Well, the passage that I want to read today is about the nation of Israel where they were told by God, try again with something they had just failed at. Like that's a hard thing. And we, we kind of know where stories go, so we can read the last little bit, like, oh, I see how God made it all work out. But put yourself in their shoes. They just were routed by an enemy. They thought they had it all figured out, and then it goes terribly badly. And Joshua finds himself on his face calling out to God, like, how can this work? If you don't help us, how can this work? So do they quit? Do they proceed? They're right at the beginning of their journey into the promised land. And I love the mindset that they ended up with. In the moment they had their ups and downs, but they got to a place where they said, we're not going to quit. And even though God is saying go right back to that thing that we just failed at, we somehow believe if we do it God's way, the results will be different. Same battle, different results. And so I'm curious like how did they get through it? What helped them not to quit? What was their secret to success because I think we have to have this mentality as believers and I think we could actually be influential to the world as well if we're the sorts of people that don't believe in quitting and then we just live in the world surrounded by people that quitting is option A never mind option B or C it's like I don't want that that's not for me that doesn't feel good that doesn't help me that's not what I like I don't want that that's too hard what if we represent something different just simply not quitting. That's Christ's example, right? I think that would be really amazing if we could be influential in that way, have a reputation, not of like success or failure because those are going to come, but just not quitting, pushing through. And and that's what we're going to see in our our reading today. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to read the second try, God's instructions and then I want to dig in and I want to engage with two specific parts of it that I think can relate to us. This is one of those kind of tricky passages where you read it and you're like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to take from that. And maybe you'll see that too. We're going to talk about how they fought and like the weapons and the strategies they used. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. We're going to, instead of spiritual formation class, we'll have like weapons training classes. And... Are we taking over Taunton? So we need to like set up a strategic like assault from the blind side? Like, so think, like, like stretch your minds a little bit wider to say this is God's word and it's here for a reason, and everything that's been written down in this Bible has been written down for our education. So we're supposed to learn from this, even though we're not fighting crazy ancient warfare battles against our neighboring towns. So that's where we're going to go. I think there's actually amazing things that we can get from this and I just want us to hear God's word first and then we'll we'll dig into it. So this is Joshua chapter 8. So the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. These are two of our big obstacles, right? Being afraid, being discouraged. God says, no, we're not going that way. Take all the fighting men with you, arise and go up to Ai, the city of Ai. I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as a plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. Remember, this is opposed to like the 3,000 tiny force that people were advising Joshua. And God says, actually, no, we're taking a large army. We're going to fight a decisive battle. So Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night, and he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us just as before." So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. They went to the place of the ambush, and they lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Now Joshua arose early in the morning. He mustered the people, and he went out, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai, with a ravine between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. And so they stationed the forces. The main encampment was north of the city, and its rearguard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. Now, as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Now not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and they pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And so Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power like no willpower, (laughs) to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. And when Joshua and all of Israel saw the ambush had captured the city and the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and they struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped." But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword... All of Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate to the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all of Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the Ark of the Covenant before the Levitical priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings, And the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. What do you see, church? What do you see as we read this? I am firmly convinced that this story is for us literally for each of us we're here today god has brought us here he's brought me here this is for me and yet it's such a story set in ancient times it's so specific what do you see in it what stands out is there anything speaking to you i'm maybe reading another translation that says something differently maybe it raises a question Give me some thoughts before we dig a little bit deeper. Tracy?
1: It was different than Jericho when they could take the spoils of the livestock. Mm. Wonder, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. God went into Jericho because Jericho was bad, but here it looks like he was giving the Israelites something, not just a yeah. battle.
0: Yeah, right. Each individual situation is based on the inhabitants of that city, it's based on Israel, it's based on God, it's based on there's like all these factors, and God doesn't do the same thing twice in almost any of these scenarios. And that bears thinking about that but why? What's different in this scenario than the next? That's a great observation. What else? Anything stand out? How? God's relationship with his people is <coughs> What's the last part? God's relationship with his people is restored. Restored, yeah. There's a restoration story happening here. It was good, and then it was bad, and it's being made good again. Yeah. What else? Let me me direct... Yeah, go ahead. One of the things I was thinking was, um, when they did
1: Jericho... um, you know, God said not to take anything, and only one man did, and yet all suffered for it. Mm-hmm. And that that man and his whole family were killed because of it. And mm-hmm. Now here he's saying, look okay. at you know, now you can take everything, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of it's almost kind of a parable of you know the the great the, the, the harvest where you know people come in at six in the morning. Get paid, mm. and people come in at three in the afternoon still get paid the same. Mm-hmm. And people come in at six at night still get paid. And yeah. so I mean, God just does basically what he wants, and he wants the way he wants,
0: whether we understand it or not. Yeah, this is the opposite of legalism, which says this is the right way to do it. The only right way to do it is the way God says to do it, and He can say it to do it differently every single time. So it doesn't matter what He says one time. It matters what he says this time because he'll have his purposes for why one thing happens, why another um, doesn't happen. And uh, the only right way is, is exactly the way he said it because he knows best. <laughs> he's doing it exactly that way because he's got his reasons. Think specifically with me, and this is the first thing I want to engage with, um, the concept of strategy. It's a different strategy, right? It's almost like sneak attack. It's, it's sneaky. Um, it's very different than Jericho, which was we're out in the open, we're walking around you; you can't miss us, we're here for a week, here all week, they could have said, and then at the end of the week, grand finale. This is not that thing. This is them sneak attacking with an ambush. Does that feel like weird? Is that a strategy that we would employ? Is that okay? When you think about the strategic part of it, does it raise any questions or trigger any thoughts?
1: I don't think it's sneaky because it's God, but it's sneaky. It's a good one, right? Yeah. They retreat and they follow, so you get
0: to the city. Yeah, strategy, God's right? kind of smart, like
1: that. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It it's it's definitely interesting. It's not only sneaky, but, like, God stacked the deck with numbers, (laughs) right? Like, that's also a very human thing to do. Like, well, if they have, you know, 12,000, we'll come with 30, Mm. just to be sure. Mm. Mm
1: I wonder if that was a response to how they felt coming out of that last battle. Because that was probably pretty terribly discouraging to get beat so... Mm. Badly, so quickly after winning a battle, so well, to just like maybe question everything, like, well, actually, maybe we're terrible and we don't know anything about
0: going to battle.
1: Look at us losing. So maybe strategy was a way for him to encourage them, like, that you're going to do it a new way. And if you're obedient to me in this particular thing, then you won't have to be, like, my translation says, don't fear or be intimidated. Mm. So they.
0: We're intimidated by inference. <laughs>
1: we're, yeah, right. we're probably fretting a lot being like, no thanks. Just got beat. Mm. We're gonna time out, mm. maybe, lick our wounds. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: probably, mm-hmm. It could almost get to a point where you feel like strategy is not living by faith. Mm-hmm. Are strategy and faith opposites? God will work it out. Versus here is like a very strategic plan for how we're going to accomplish this. I like that thought. I think there's a wrestling match between those two because we can do plenty of strategy on our own without God and leave faith out of it. But then there's also an element of faith where God says, this is how I want you to strategically attack this problem in your life. And so it's faith to use this strategy. So for Joshua, it's faith to run away from them when they're coming after you. Because this will work. I think that that's an interesting thing to to think about. And so when I started digging deeper into strategy, I started thinking of how the Old Testament battles are meant to be a type, um, typology, and not a metaphor where it's kind of this ambiguous, oh, this makes me think of like problems in our life, but like a specific parallel to battles that we fight. And so I started thinking about, well, then this is meant for me to learn how to fight my battles. But we know from books like Ephesians, we don't fight against people any longer. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not called to be physical warriors. But we have battles that we fight every single day. And some of them we lose to. And so I started thinking, well... What if the city of Ai is like an example of the battles that we keep on losing and God stepping in and saying, try it my way, even though it doesn't seem like it makes much sense. And even though it's kind of like working at it from a totally different perspective than you have, will you go back against that battle and fight it a different way? Will we listen to God? I started thinking about like, what if all of those warriors coming out of Ai kind of represent different attacks that come against us. Things that attack us, things that make us want to run away, some things that defeat us sometimes. I started kind of putting these things uh, together. I was thinking, what if one of those warriors coming out of the city of I is our pride? You know, what are the battles that we fight? The, the feeling like, I've got this. The feeling like, I'm confident. The feeling like, I know what I'm doing. That self-pride that can come at us so easy. Well, that is something we can fall to. That is a battle we can lose. And usually when we put ourselves up, God humbles us. And that's what happened to them. Um, what if one of those things that attacks us in very real ways is fear for our children? Or fear for our country. You know, fear for the people that belong to us. What will happen to them? What if? How can I protect? And when we get afraid, then we start becoming defensive, we start becoming insulating, we start becoming. Fearful, It's this, this bad thing. Parents living in fear of what might happen to their children. People living in fear of what might happen to our country. What if the politics goes this way? What if wars go this way? What if economics goes this way? Like these are battles that we fight because we're trying to live a life of joy and peace in God. And all the things that destroy our peace, all the things that take us away from trusting God, all the things that undermine who we are, are our battles. We're, trying, we're in a war to save our souls. And so we have to fight all these things that come against us. And so that's where my mind went with strategy. Uh, a couple of other ones. Um, what if one of those things that comes against us, one of these warriors flooding out of the city to attack us, is alcohol's temptation to just relax. Just, it's going to be okay. Just unwind. Life is hard. It's okay. The day has been long. The situation is taxing. Like, that's something that's coming against us because ultimately a feeling of comfort isn't going to change our situation. And so we're being undermined and saying we don't actually have to solve situations, we can just numb ourselves to such an extent that we can bear up under situations that will never. Change. Like, that's an attack. That's that's turning for our comfort and our trust in the substance instead of turning to our comfort and resolution in Christ. Like, these are very real things that come against us. And so I've never had someone chasing me with a javelin. Yet. But I feel attacked in my mind and in my desires and in my fears and in my goals And in my plan, I feel attacked all the time and then feel like, well, how do I like stop thinking that way? And how do I not fall into this trap? These attacks are very real attacks. And I wonder if the strategy that was being implemented there by God is something that we can learn from. His strategy to Joshua in this situation was don't fight the problem head on. Cut it off at the source. I think that 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 thought for me has been like gripping me this week. That's a really important thought. What if God's strategy for a lot of the battles that we face is don't face this head on. Cut it off at the source. What if the, the pride that we have is actually just a mask for insecurity that we feel on the inside? And so we kind of puff ourselves up in how we posture and how we talk to people so that it makes us feel better about the fact that we really don't feel so confident in who we are. So that we're fighting a battle about pride, but it's not about that. And you can say, be humble. You can say, but really, if we were to cut that off at the source, we would say, God has made you beautiful. And God has made you worthy of his love. And you don't need to be insecure because he has you and he values you. All of a sudden, there's less of a need to posture and look tough because we feel secure. Source versus the battle. We spend a lot of time medicating against situations and symptoms in our country, in the medical profession, in many other ways. This is like a mindset. We treat the symptoms. Because we don't really have hope that we could get at the root of it or the source. So because we don't have a hope as a country that change is possible, that God can redeem, that we could be different, that the deep things in us could get rooted or healed or just filled, we're left with the next best thing. Well, let's just stop the symptoms from feeling so bad. So we hit the problem head on. Let's face it. Let's fight it. Let's fight it. And I kept thinking about that. Like these warriors coming out of I are like never ending. (laughs) They're just going to keep coming. Let's say that we're able to deal with the problem of pride in our lives. Well, the problem of money and possessions is still going to be there. And the minute you fight one of them off, another one pops off. We're being attacked constantly. We need something better than just like day to day band-aids. And I think this is an interesting thing that God said, don't fight all of these warriors off. Go around behind them and burn that city down so that these things have nowhere to go anymore. These attitudes, these thoughts, these worldly things, you know, we fight against principalities and powers, like the concept of greed is like an invisible malevolent force in the world. It's a principality. It's actively trying to gather us into greed, in our thoughts and in our behaviors and suddenly make us greedy and tempt us to greed. Like, I don't want to talk about whether we should get the new house or not because you can get a house or not get a house. It could be God's will, it could not. I don't want to talk about whether we should own new cars or only used cars because we're, we're fighting like the surface level thing like let's talk about whether we've been swept up in greed because if greed is gone then we're just free to use our money however we want and if it goes all the way God will give us more and if we use some here we thought it was his will and we just it's like a faith freedom because greed isn't the one pulling the marionette strings anymore and that's where my mind went with this like what what battles do we fight that are not really about that battle there's something behind the scenes which God knows and He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be whole. Ah, it can be so overwhelming. Um, some more examples maybe and then I want to hear thoughts from you too. But um, what about the battle of, of dealing with someone, having a friend, a spouse, yourself, maybe this person always needs to be right. It's very hard to have conversations with that person. It's very hard to feel heard when someone always feels the need to be right. So you can either say to that person, stop always needing to be right, or you can say there's actually a source in there. This person has something in them that is causing this manifestation. So I can spend all my time butting heads over the actual conversation that we're having or I can say, God, give me wisdom to know where this conversation is coming from. And maybe through your Holy Spirit, we might be able to have a conversation about the thing behind the thing. Well, then that's more likely to slowly be a winning battle versus just every repetitive, frustrating, the conversation you've had a thousand times They you just keep having, like that thing. because it's, it's not about that. God, give us eyes to see something that we couldn't see on our own. Um, You recognize God revealed to Joshua this strategy. He said, this is how we're going to do this. We believe in a God of revelation, a God who opens eyes, a God who speaks wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. So this really is very possible, very much offered to us to know the right strategy, the right wisdom to get at the source. We have to pray for that, though. Instead of, help me to know how to deal with this difficult person, God, help me to see what the root of the difficulties are. Could I be a minister to that so that I wouldn't keep having to have all these surface level confrontations? Finding comfort in food or in alcohol or in any kind of substances. What if that's just because someone feels sad? then how much should we be fighting about the substance versus helping someone not be sad? We have a lot of fights about how much or how little to drink and how much or how little to eat or what's right and good to eat or to drink or to smoke or any of these things, but what if Satan's just playing with someone's heart? You think it's possible to outsmart Satan? See, I kind of do. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. Like, he thought the Judas thing was going to work. Oops. It's very possible he thought I was going to work, the city and the battle. Nope. What if God's saying, let's outsmart the sin that's attacking us? Let's outsmart Satan and his schemes. Their schemes with like a tiny S. And God's plans are like his plans with a capital P. So they're there, but they're not insurmountable. They're not. Let's outsmart, let's outthink with God's help. God, give us eyes to see your strategy with dealing with the source of a problem. Because Satan thinks his plans are going to work. He thinks they can. But they don't have to. If a bigger God than our problems, a bigger God than all these things. So, what we need is for God to reveal that to us. That's my point. We need God to reveal to us the thing that ultimately Satan's gonna be like, oh crap, I didn't see that coming. And then we're free, and the battle is won. That's what we need. We don't just need like a sharper sword or a stronger shield to like bear up under. That's part of the spiritual armor. But recognize there are ways that God defeats. There are ways that God wins. We have an example of this. For those of us who find ourselves spending a little too much time reading, kind of escaping. Oh, life is tough. Um, A little too much time on Netflix. Escaping. A little bit too much time what's another version of that? Facebook, right? It's just World on pause, let my mind roam. Like, What if that's just a warrior coming out from a root cause of fear of conflict? It's easier to just have stories with happy endings that will follow a prescribed pattern than to deal with this problem that is gonna force me to feel badly. I'm gonna hate that conversation. I'm gonna hate fighting that that situation, that battle. Like, what if our escapism isn't about, like, we should set, like, limits on our phones? And we should set, like, time limits for how much TV we watch during the week? And don't read too much and don't do too much. But read or don't read? Watch or don't watch? Browse, scroll or don't scroll? But if it's not a means to escape, if the life we're in is good and blessed and healthy, then we actually want to get back to that. Because guess what? It's better than the repetitive storylines we read in the books that are just kind of like, imitations of each other and we like them but they just follow the pattern and then it comes to an end and same thing with scrolling on Facebook or it's the same conversations that keep coming like eventually that escape is like less appealing than a good life that you could get back to loving. So what if we weren't afraid of what we would find in our lives? What if we just loved it? Well then we wouldn't have to fight the battles of escapism as much. I want to hear some of your thoughts on this, fighting battles at the source. And here's the last thing that I'll say before I, I turn it back to you and kind of put this, this part of the message together. Isn't it interesting that most of these sources we're talking about are actually things that are lacking? Someone who's insecure and therefore over postures. Someone who's sad and therefore... Like is like pieces that are missing in us, or lacking, or broken. I think that's a wonderful way to look at sin. It, it seems like what happens in the Bible, right? Sin is a brokenness of a whole creation. It, its absence, its fractures, its loss. So instead of saying like I'm I'm fighting my demons, as if there's some source of evil inside you trying to get out, maybe our sources are actually the things that are missing. Maybe the source of all of these symptoms are things that are broken. Isn't it easier to have compassion on someone <laughs> when you say this is something that's missing in them? And it's because of their experience. It's because of their personality. It's because of um, their, their, their bodies and their emotions, the way they're made. It's because of how they were raised. Right. Like There's things that have become damaged in each of us just as a result of living in the world. That's a wonderful way to think of sin being a result of Breakages and absences it's a lot easier to have compassion. Jesus had compassion even on the people who are crucifying him. They do not know what they 're doing like this evil that 's coming out, the things we 're facing head on actually come from missing pieces, broken pieces, absences and voids, and so therefore our ministry gets to be a ministry of healing and filling and reconciling like those things stop what seems like another thing. <laughs> Can we meet each other in our our sources, our our empties, our voids, and help fill those so that the symptoms look differently? I just need to know, (laughs) what does this mean to you? we talk about the source and the symptoms, you don't have to share in any great depth here, but what does this make you think? we got to like, work with this somehow. Sandra. Um, I just think that life is at us so fast that we forget to pause and get curious about the why. Sure. The why behind um, why
1: we may, we may feel this way, some others may feel this way. Yeah. And, and another thought that, that when you're talking about the source, it made me think of that acronym that you gave to me
0: the years ago. It was oh, yeah. I got that one from Charles Stanley. And yeah. Hungry, <laughs> angry, lonely, and tired. Kind of what, when we have those feelings, our temptation is greater. Greater.
1: And we're just, we're, we're so easy to be a sitting
0: duck to see. Vulnerable. In those times. Yeah. Yeah. Ian. Dave, I like how you talked about really the source maybe being something that's missing, right? And I think it's important to recognize that the enemy is going to come or can come at us with the counterfeit of what we need, mm. right? So you're talking about mm-hmm. alcohol and comfort, right? Like right. we need a comfort, we need a peace, right? But we're being offered a counterfeit, which yeah. is not going to fulfill. Yeah. And God wants to offer us like the real, true source of what we're left. Yeah, because it does sort of feel like it's working. I take, like, to, at the end of the, day, to sit down, end of the day sit down with a beer or a drink or something it feels like we're feeling better but nothing's actually different nothing has changed and if there was something that was making us feel a certain way that thing is still a thing we just can't feel it so that's actually dangerous and scary that stuff is all still there we're just now oblivious to it yeah it's counterfeit it doesn't actually heal what do you think Trace? you had your hand it was a fake out hand just stretching. All right, everyone's going to do some stretches here. Toe judges. All right, good, good. Does it trigger any other thoughts? Yeah, Eleanor. Um, I just keep hearing what in my head over and over again. The
1: scripture, resist the devil, and he will play, draw near unto God, and you know, Amen. So sometimes we feel like we want to take up arms against Satan or the principalities, the enemies, whatever. But it's like, we don't really have to. Just put
0: up that wall. Just resist. Hmm, draw near resistance. To God, of it. Maybe. Yeah. So it doesn't always
1: have to be an act of battle.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. We, we we could do well to meditate on that for sure. Anything else? I Jeff? Just I
1: wasn't here last week so I don't know what you preached on on chapter 7 but looking back to chapter 7 and failure. Yeah. Um, What did God have to do? Yeah, tried man by man deep into His people to find the sin, so it Mm. is a battle of sin. Mm.
0: And God wanted answered, and when it was, He's like, "Here we go! All right, now we're ready.
1: Let's go to war." Yeah, Um, to take him down. So it is a battle of sin. That's just kind of my thoughts
0: there. Yeah, I like how it starts with that. The victory starts with like getting straight with God, but then it ends with a reminder of the reading of the law. It it ends with a sacrifice on an altar. It's like the beginning and the end of it is like holiness. The beginning and the end of it is worship. Getting into the victory is gonna come from like making things right with God and then the output of that is like, we're good with God, let's stay good with God. Because we just get our victories and then we go our own way. You're like, all right, get ready for the next defeat in which you'll have to start this whole cycle again. But what if we exited our victories Maintaining that relationship, then we don't have to hit the next failure. Continue victory. Oh, okay. yeah. Sorry. I noticed too that to the end of the
1: chapter, mm-hmm. Joshua is writing the scripture, yeah. and it just it's a reminder that we need to know it. Mm-hmm. That's how we defeat these things, mm-hmm. right? And even though the battle was won. They didn't just do sacrifices and
0: dance. Mm-hmm. They recited the scripture. Yeah. Um, and the leader then wrote down the blessings and the cursings for all of
1: them to hear and read, right. to remind themselves that the battle belongs to the Lord.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen. Do you mind? Sally. I
1: just couldn't help but think about how you were talking about issue not being the issue but there's something underlying and once we really understand that about one another, mm. we develop compassion for one another mm. and we also are not offended. Mm. You know, there's much less offense when, when you understand that that person, you're not I taking like that. it
0: personally. <coughs> I like that. I like that. That's really good. Here's the last word that I'll say on this, and then we'll move to the second point I want us to engage with. It's just the opposite of this source problem uh, would be wholeness, which seems like what God is leading us towards. If we're whole, if we love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, and all of our strength, then we're just full. (laughs) We're filled, we're healed, we're whole. That's the process of coming to God. That's the process of living with him, that he's mending, that he's restoring, the potter shaping. Like That to me feels like the right opposite, that we would love him so completely that it would be a filling sort of love, not leaving us missing pieces, not leaving us with gaps and voids and absences, but that we would become whole. I'll read you a quote that, comes from a book Michelle and I are are starting to go through. It's called You Are What You Love. The author writes, We are what we want. Our wants and our longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which all our actions and our behaviors flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart the epicenter of the human person. And thus, Scripture counsels in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The author goes on and says, so discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart. That's cool. There are things that are missing that feel like lacking, and so therefore we have all these symptoms, but feeling loved, loving God, guarding our affections and desires, making them gods, actually then results in a much different life, a life that feels whole. That's a wonderful thing that the gospel offers us, the ability to be whole again. All right, so the second thought I would like to engage with is a little bit simpler. It goes with this one hand in hand, but um, it's endurance endurance in our story that we read can you see any examples of endurance or principles of endurance how do we get endurance in what we read do
1: you think by remembering,
0: <coughs> like mm, by remembering If
1: you remember like going to the end of the chapter they, they hang the king, and then they put him in the gateway, and they pile stones on it. You know, it was still there. And they it that. Mm. So who knows? Maybe that. So, but I mean, but every time like, Christians, you know, the Christians, the, the Jews got through a, a big deal, mm. and they cross the river, so they, and even if, when they cross this river, he had to pile from from the center of the river piles of stones on the banks. Mm-hmm. So I think if you remember mm-hmm. your, your, your battles that you won, it's mm-hmm. so easy to know to go into the
0: next battle. To okay. so you know you're doing it the way you're going Yeah, yeah. Memories and commemorations. Absolutely. Endurance. Yeah. So I think it has something to do with just keeping your eyes on end result, I guess. Mm-hmm. believing that God's going to do It mm-hmm. must have taken a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe for us as leaders, for us as parents, like for the people that we're watching over, t- to be willing to keep our arms held up for as long as it takes, to be tired. Endurance. He's in a leadership position there. Not everybody had to hold their hands up, but he did. I think that, that speaks to me what it takes and how tiring it can be to keep your arms raised all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Trace.
1: Uh, in my translation, Joshua, was, it says that Joshua mustered up his men. Yeah. Like, so must have been some fatigue or something, or maybe, I don't know, quantity, quality. I might really brought out his 30,000 pesos, mm-hmm. or whatever, but there was something that indicates some kind of. It takes to muster up. You
0: have to muster mm. up the strength to, you know. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. I looked up some definitions of endurance to try to put it together with our strategy. Endurance and strategy leads us to never quitting, right? So, English um, three definitions of endurance. First one: it's the ability to withstand hardship or adversity, especially a prolonged, stressful effort or activity. Endurance means it's bad for a long time. It's hard for a long time. The second English definition of endurance is the ability to keep doing something difficult, unpleasant, or painful for a long time. Sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) The third thing uh, endurance is defined as the fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. The Greek word, the one that Paul uses when he says, uh, don't worry, you know that suffering produces endurance. Uh, The Greek word there literally means to remain under. To remain under a thing. It's like on us, it's heavy, we're carrying the weight, we're remaining under it. That's the biblical Greek word for it. Let me read that scripture for us as we think about endurance. Romans 5, 1-5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So I recognize that Joshua and the Israelites had to go back to where they had already failed and just do it again. But trying it God's way this time versus what they thought would work. So they had to endure. But I see in this passage, you know, the New Testament kind of like defines and elaborates all the basic principles we learn along the way. This tells me that endurance is a process. Endurance develops over time because something leads to something which leads to something. So our suffering produces endurance. If we want to be people that never quit, we have to suffer. Suffering comes first, and then the quality of endurance comes second. So we want to be people of endurance, but we don't want to suffer. Well, we're never going to learn how to endure if we don't suffer. It's how it's learned. But then endurance produces character. So we want to be people of good character that stay that way and endure, And the way that's going to happen is by suffering and staying under that thing until God shows us the way to get at the source. Until then, we become people of character as a result of that process. And character produces hope. So this takes me back to right where we started. Like what? It seems like a lack of character in the world as a whole to be people that quit too easily. And it seems like the character of Christ which provides hope, is that he never quits on us. Never, ever, 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 ever. To death and back again, never quits. So we're supposed to be his apprentices, supposed to be his emulators, we're supposed to be his imitators. I want to be the sort of person that doesn't quit, and I want that to be my character based on this hope I have in Christ, based on grace. But it has to be built. So endurance is a learned thing, Endurance is a practiced thing. Endurance is something that happens through failure and then success. Endurance requires second tries and third tries and fourth tries. That's the definition of endurance for a long time. But then we become people of actual character. People that are like God because God never quits. Never, ever, ever, ever. And that's really hopeful. (laughs) That's really hopeful in every situation, that God will not quit, and that we don't have to quit. And if what we're going through kills us, so be it. But it doesn't have to be failure. We can find God's way through it. You know, most people don't exhibit very strong endurance in our day and age. It's not um, valued. Easier is better in our day and age, right? Whatever can make my life easier is what I want, and it can be the remote that I no longer even need to press buttons on, I can just talk to it. Great, that's like cool. We, we found a way to make technology, make our lives quicker or simpler. We value simple, we value quick, we value easy which will never make us people of endurance, and we'll end up to be people that don't have character, because the only way you get that is by walking under for a long time, and it's going to be kind of hopeless, because when things don't come easily, we won't really know if we can make it through the hard thing. We haven't experienced if that works. So therefore, we don't have hope that it will work. But if you walk through hard things and seen how God brought you through, that, it's very hopeful that in the next situation... God will be there again walking through. And it doesn't matter if you failed already like Joshua and his people did. Maybe God doesn't even want us to fight it head on. He's going to tell us. He's going to give us the route to the source, which can change the battles that we fight, which can change who we are in the world, and ultimately mean to be people of hope. So when I think of this statement, Christians never quit, it's a statement of endurance, like the never quit part, but it's also a statement of strategy. Because if we just keep going at things the same exact way all the time and it doesn't change, then we will. We need to. I would quit. We all, we have to, like, uh... and that's where our relationship with God makes all the difference in the world. It's not just us versus our problems, it's God versus the source of our problems, and therefore us with God, victory over the source of our problems. And so this is why I think the battle of I is so beautiful. It's not just an ancient battle because we have lots of things we fight and lots of things we lose. And lots of things that are hard, but I think we're called to be people of endurance, and if it could work for them in 1400 BC, it can work for us in 2022. So I'm going to say a prayer. I'd like to invite the music team to come forward, and I would like us to just take a moment of silence, and I'll pray, to think about how this relates to Jesus. Maybe when you come to communion today, you should be thanking Christ for his endurance. Or thanking him for his strategy, he didn't actually go to each person and just solve every problem. He defeated death and sin at the root. Ah, he knew how to sneak attack sin. He outsmarted Satan's schemes. He overcame that. That'd be a great thing for you to meditate on as you go to communion, or it could be simply praying for endurance. Things are hard at all sorts of levels in life—small hard, big hard. Like yeah, so that'd be a great thing to come to Jesus and say, "You have that. You are that. Make me that way." Lend me some of what you are through the Spirit that you've given us. Maybe you need strategic advice. He's got it. Ask. If you need wisdom, ask for it. I think the cross is a beautiful place to see endurance and strategy and God's victory. So let me pray for us. And and then whenever you are ready, come forward and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Dear Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you mean to us. Thank you for time to reflect on uh, your Father's plan, your role in it, our role in it, our appreciation of it. I pray for each of us that you would open our eyes to see how Joshua and Israel and their experience really is ours. And what you helped them through, you can help us through. I pray for victory uh, for each of us in the battles that we are fighting. I pray for your strategy, not ours, in all the battles we're fighting. And I pray for your long-suffering, your patience, your uh, steadfastness, and your endurance to be uh, our character and our nature, because you're remaking us in your image day by day. Please speak to us, Father. Please bless these elements. May this time of worship and communion be uh, a renewal and uh, recovenanting with you in all these ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.